0: Thank you so much for being here today. We are grateful that you would gather together. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. Um, one of our other pastors, Aaron Campbell, he is up on vacation enjoying some time. I think he got to go see or is going to go see a Steelers game. So that's a huge treat for him this afternoon. Um, I hope they win. I follow them. I don't know that they will, but, but I, I hope So. Um, We are grateful. If you are visiting here for the first time, we want to make sure you know that you are welcome here. We'd love to hear any questions you have. We'd also love to bless you with a free book afterwards. Uh, If you got a little welcome card, hopefully um, you can fill it out. Give that to whoever's back at that wall of books in the lobby, and we would love to give you a free book as just a, a way of saying thank you for being here to join with us as we worship Jesus. Um, We are going through the letter to the Corinthians. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote letters to the church in Corinth. And these letters to the church in Corinth, they really aren't just to the church in Corinth, but but God gave them to Paul for our good, for the good of our church as well. So turn your Bibles. We're going to be continuing in our series in the letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 23 to 11.1. 1. Now this is one of those places where um, if, you, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know that, that the verse numbers are not inspired. They were not originally there. So this is one of the places where the translators, they put a new chapter in which was not helpful. So this, this, this line of thought of Paul's actually goes from verse 23 all the way to 11.1. 1, and, and we'll understand why as we get to the end of it. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians ten. 23. Let's let's read God's holy inspired word for us today. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience for the or earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience but if someone says to you this has been offered in sacrifice then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience i don't mean for your conscience But for his, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray again and ask for the Lord's help. Father, we need your grace each and every day. God, we needed your grace when we were completely lost and blind, Lord. We need your grace when, when the cares of this world blind our eyes. We need your grace when, when we don't understand your word, Lord. We need you each and every day. And Lord, thank you that, that now, Lord, all those who put their trust in you have a promise that you give us your grace by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us your grace. Open up our eyes, open up our hearts, make our minds attuned, help us pay attention to what you have to say to us, Lord, and help us know you more. God, give us your grace by your Holy Spirit. Empower us today. Fill us anew with your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, when I was preparing for the sermon, I did what I normally do. Uh, I, I took some time to go through the passage to, to try to remember all of the things in the passage and, and tried to meditate on it so I could understand the passage. And then, and then after doing that, I wrote down my thoughts on the passage and spent hours doing that. And then after doing all that, then I, then I went and consulted with commentaries and, and read through what other people had to say about it, reflected on all the work that I had just done. But after all of that work, I was still missing the point. And, and I saw that this passage was a series of commands, and, and I was kind of like, well, what, what in the world? is this? Just Am I just going to give people a bunch of commands today? Lord, is that what this passage is all about? Just a series of, of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, how we're supposed to live as Christians. It's just about a series of, of how you're supposed to live, and if you check these boxes, you'll be a good Christian, you'll know how to live, you'll know how to live wisely. And, and at first, the passage can seem like that, Right? Because it begins with that. It talks about, so, you know, not everything's helpful, so make sure that we're trying to be helpful. And then not everything is building up, so maybe we should, we should build each other up. And then, and then kind of summarizing that idea is seeking the good of others. Don't just seek your own good. Seek other people's goods. And so we have here a series of commands. And so all you have here, it seems to begin with, is a series of laws, a series of things to do. They're obviously true, and the world would be a better place if we all live like that, right? If, and, and I think the greatest, in, in the 21st century at least, one of the, the greatest values is being selfless. And I think you could ask the common person on the street, hey, what do you think is one of the greatest ways to live? And they could say, oh, if you live selflessly. But that's not what this passage is really about, so often, though, we can, we can approach the Bible and the Christian life as if it's just a series of do's and don'ts, and we could, maybe we could read this passage in our, in our devotional time with the Lord, and we can walk away like, I've got five more things I have to do. You ever read the Bible that way? Anybody ever read the Bible that way? I, I need to take my pill, I read the Bible in the morning, I take my pill, I see what I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do, now let me go and do that thing. Maybe you came here to learn about how to be a better Christian or a better person. Or maybe you came here to, to hear an uplifting message. And, and I, hope, I hope that those things might be true when you leave today. But that's not the goal. It's not the goal of this passage either. See, being, being a Christian is not just about how to, how, figuring out how to live and then um, obeying a set of guidelines in, in order to be acceptable to God. But sometimes we approach the Christian life that way. It's not about just having enough knowledge and figuring it all out. You see, the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, they had a lot of knowledge, and they held knowledge and esteemed it really highly, and so they were trying to figure out how to live. And so if you can give me these these rules and these boundaries, Paul, then we'll be all good. And so that that appeals both ways, right? It appeals to the legalist. Give me a series of things that I know I can do to be acceptable to God, Or it appeals to people who who are more licentious, who want to do whatever they can. Hey, just tell me what I'm not allowed to do and I'll do everything else. And we can come to the Bible that way. But being a Christian is not about having enough knowledge and figuring it out. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him. And we'll actually see that. That's the motivation, really, in the passage. He, He gives us an overarching command He tells us that we're to live for the glory of God in everything that we do. Live for God's glory in everything we do. Practically, look down at verse 31. It's really the key, one of the keys to the the passage. It kind of summarizes all of those commands up in verse 31. It says, um, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And he's summarizing all those different commands and saying all those commands can be Summed up in just really this one thing. Do all to the glory of God. and That's the first thing we're going to look at. Do all to the glory of God. We're going to kind of look at this passage almost in reverse. Do all to the glory of God. That's what we're called to as Christians, right? But but what does that mean? What does it mean to do all to the glory of God? The idea of God's glory can be something difficult to pin down for us, can't it? In the 2006 classic movie Nacho Libre... Nacho met his soon-to-be partner, Stephen, and and he says, aren't you tired of getting dirt kicked in your face? He says, I am. Don't you want a little taste of the glory? See what it tastes like. Sometimes we have that kind of idea about glory, right? We we think that glory, it's it's, we we want some people to honor us. We want praise. We want adulation. We want to stop being looked down on, despised. Is that what we're, how we're supposed to live? Well, he says, no, do all to the glory of God. Not to our glory, but to the glory of God. Well, what does glory mean? I think it means he's got it partially right. Nacho had a little bit right. It means adulation and praise. It means being honored as great. Sometimes we can think of glory in negative terms too, right? You think of a movie and you're like, no, that glorifies sin. I don't want to go see that movie because it glorifies sin. It makes sin out to be good. And God says, don't do that, don't, make, don't call good what I call evil, and, and don't, don't call what I call good evil. And so we, we can say, okay, well, I'm not supposed to glorify something that's bad. And to glorify something is, is to give somebody honor, to give somebody praise, to give somebody worship, to give somebody adulation, to show them to be good. Is to recognize someone's worth. And Paul says we're to live that way in relationship to God. But there is a problem here. By our fallen nature, at least, the remaining sin nature, even if you've been made new and you've been given a new nature that seeks to glorify God, there's this old sin nature that hangs around that seeks somebody else's glory, and it's not God's, it's most often ours. And we want recognition for ourselves. We want other people to notice us. And Paul says, no, I don't, I don't, I, we're not to live that way. We're not to live in a way that we seek other people's glory. We're to live in a way that we seek to glorify God in everything we do. And even in small, mundane things, right? Did you ever wonder why he's saying, and whether, whether you eat or drink? Well, he's, he's specifically addressing some, some challenges in that church. And that day, they had challenges because they had meat that was literally sacrificed to idols, and so he says, hey, and whether you eat or whether you drink, he's talking about them feasting and those times. But what he's, what he's drawing attention to is in the mundane, we can glorify God. And sometimes we don't think of our lives that way. We just think of glorifying God by coming to church, maybe singing loudly or by our devotional times, and we can separate between the secular and sacred. And we can, we can look at life as if we're going to glorify God in these little silos over here. And Paul says, no, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. So that means that that there is ability to glorify God in your job, in how you relate to your family at home, in private, when you're grumpy and you didn't get enough sleep, when you haven't had something to eat and you're angry. We have an opportunity to glorify God. We have an opportunity to glorify God in our eating, in our drinking, in whatever we do, Paul's saying. Not just privately, but through how we live in the mundane, we can publicly show off how good God is. That we're trusting in Him through the daily, through the mundane, and it's not just personal either. We give glory to God through how we relate to other people. That's what the illustration He began with is. He says, "Let that no one seek his own good, but the good of other people, the good of his neighbor." And, and he gives instructions to the church in Corinth because a lot of them were doing that. They were seeking their own good. They weren't seeking God's glory and they weren't seeking the good of other people. And he says, well, I don't want you to live that way. We're, we're to do all to the glory of God. And we do all to the glory of God. We do that by seeking the good of our neighbor. He gives some really practical instruction about what does it look like. And that's where the bulk of the passage is from, from verse 23 all the way to verse 30. It's we glorify God. We actually do that. We We do all to the glory of God. Why? How? By seeking the good of our neighbor. And then he gives some examples of what that looks like to seek the good of your neighbor. And he gives some barriers to that as well. There's some barriers to seeking the good of your neighbor. The first one I can think of is that I seek my own good. When When I roll out of bed, I don't know about you, when I first roll out of bed, my first thought is normally not other people. I'm normally aware of an ache or a pain. How do I feel? I don't, I don't have to consciously, want, you know, think, oh, how do I feel? I'm like, immediately I'm aware of how I feel. I'm aware of what I want. You know, I've got to go and do, Go to the bathroom. I've got to take a shower. I've got, I've got things I, I need to do for myself. I, I'm aware of all my desires and all my good. And so um, I, I do a great job at caring for my own good in the mornings, first thing, without even thinking about it. You know, if I'm hungry, I want something for my good, or otherwise it's not going to be good for other people. And, and the other barrier is not just that we seek our own good, that, but we seek our own good in a couple different ways, and he addresses those ways here. We seek our, our own good in a couple different ways. We seek either to prop ourselves up by our own performance behavior, and we can become legalists and seek our good through being good legalists and earning favor before God. here ever have attempted to do that, earn favor before God by how you live, by being good enough? Maybe you approach your, your disciplines, your quiet times that way. Maybe that's the motive why I, I need to do this because I have to be a good Christian, so I'm going to wake up and read my Bible. Well, that's a barrier to seeking the good of your neighbor is we're actually seeking our own good by being a little legalist. And then another barrier he's gonna address here is that we don't just seek our own good by being a little legalist. We can actually seek our own good by being licentious, by by doing whatever we want. Just tell me the boundaries and then I'm all good and I'm gonna seek to gratify myself as much as I can. I'm gonna figure out what's permitted and I'm gonna do everything else that I want and I don't care about what you think because as long as the Bible says I'm okay doing this then I'm all good. Well, Scripture would call that attitude licentiousness. And we have both types of people in the church today. We have both types of people in our own church and actually in our own hearts. And we can, we can vacillate between the two, right? We can, we can both be legalists who are really self-centered, self-focused, and we're seeking to justify ourselves, get things for ourselves, get favor for God by seeking our own good, by doing all the right things. Or... We can seek our own good by, by saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to just have fun. We're going to enjoy everything around us by not caring about what anybody else thinks. We're just going to gonna heap pleasures on ourselves, and we can do both those things. And, and, and sometimes I'll vacillate between the two in the same day. Paul addresses both self-centered, selfish approaches. And he uses a phrase. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Get some guidelines, and we're evaluating our lives. How do we seek the good of our neighbors? Well, well we don't just do everything that we're allowed to do. One of the guidelines is we're, how are we being, seeking to be helpful to our neighbors? Now, Jesus talked about who our neighbor is, and at least is the people who are in our home, and then it's physically people around us in our neighborhood, in our workplace. He says, you know, all things are lawful, but here's some criteria I want you to have. Um, is it helpful? Am I being helpful to other people? Am I, am I not just being lawful and doing what's okay and what's permissive of me, and am I following the law, obeying the laws? Either way, not using the law to say, okay, great, now I can do everything else, or saying using the law just myself, but saying, hey, am I building other people up? It's not just helpful, am I being helpful, but am I building other people up? What does it look like to live like Ephesians 4.1 says when it says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called? What should guide those choices? What should guide the way that we live? The reality is, for most of us in the mundane stuff, the Bible does not directly tell us exactly what to do in all the gray areas of life. And most of us live in those small choices every day, don't we? We don't live in these huge choices. Most of us know how to make the big choices right. It's all the small choices we fall down on. It's all the small choices we become self-focused. It's all those small choices that we seek our own good and not the good of others. So Paul's giving us some good news. Not, we're not left alone to wonder what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And he says here's some criteria. No, it's not just whether something permissible or not because that's a dangerous place to be. A guy named David Garland, he's commenting on this. He says, Paul has a problem with that credo, with all things are lawful credo. And by the way, we do have great freedoms in Christ. But he says he has a problem with that because it feeds a conviction that one's personal understanding of what's permitted it becomes the only measuring rod of what is right and the only thing of interest. Clement of Alexandria, he's writing about this many hundred years ago, and he said, those who take advantage of everything that is lawful rapidly deteriorate into doing what is not lawful. So Paul says, everything's lawful, but you know what? Not everything's helpful. Everything's lawful, but not everything is building up. And when he's writing about those things, he's not just talking about helping yourself or edifying yourself. He, that, it is included in that, but he's, he's, it, whenever he uses those words in, in the epistles, he's primarily talking about being helpful to other people or building other people up, building up the body of Christ that we're a part of. And, and for me, my mind doesn't go there first thing. That's, that's not where I'm at. I, I'm seeking my own good often, not seeking the good of others. We already seek our own good by nature. We don't, we don't need to be doing that by default. Most of us are selfish by default, but thanks be to God, he's given us a new nature. He's given us new desires that we don't want to live that way anymore, so now we need practical instructions. What does it look like now to live in accordance with who God's made us to be? Well, let's say, okay, is this helpful to others? It says building other people up. And then he tells them at the same time, I don't want you to be overly scrupulous. I don't want you to be bound by your conscience or always wondering, is this okay to do or not to do? Is this okay to do or not to do? Give some simple guidelines. Is this helpful? Is this building people up? But don't be overly concerned with like, oh no, is this right to do or not? And so he tells in verse 25, he says, you just, look, look, ease up. When, when, you go to, when you go to buy some meat, don't worry about whether or not it's been sacrificed to an idol. Don't, don't even ask. Don't even ask about that. It's okay. You see, see everything is the Lord's. Everything belongs to God." And so by default, you can enjoy the good gifts of God, and you don't have to wonder whether something is sinful or not. If it's a good gift from God, we're actually called to enjoy that, and that's okay, and it's good. We're given that liberty. We're given that great freedom. Paul's actually quoting um, in, in verse 26. He's quoting Psalm 24, 1, where it says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What's he saying? He says everything belongs to God. And and just because something um, is abused or misused by the world does not mean that that thing is now off limits to you. You can enjoy the things that God has given for our enjoyment as long as they're not clearly sinful. Don't worry about and overly think things and be navel-gazing. and Oh, no, is this this okay or not okay? And by the way, you're not going to be defiled by going into an unbeliever's house either. And so he says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, look down at verse 27. He says, eat whatever set before you without, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. What he's saying is, you don't, when you go, by the way, it's okay to go to a house of an unbeliever. The legalist here would have been scandalized by that. The, the Jews in the church there would have said, no, we shouldn't go into the house of an unbeliever. It's going to defile us. And, and Paul says, no, don't live legalistically. I want you to see you have freedom. You don't have to worry so much about whether you're gonna please or just please God by when you enjoy things. God has given all things to, for your enjoyment. He's given good gifts for your enjoyment to the legalist. You don't have to worry about that. Your conscience is not gonna be filed by going to a house of unbeliever, by eating meat in the marketplace. You also don't have to, to wonder, oh no, is this unbeliever serving me food that they, they, were, they took this food and they bought it and they went back and they worshiped their idol with it and now they're serving it to me and somehow am I gonna participate with demons? He says, you don't have to worry about all those things. Don't ask any questions on the ground of conscience. You don't need to ask questions on the ground of conscience. But then he says, but if you know that something was actually done in worship to an idol, well, then, then don't go and do that for the sake of conscience, not for your conscience, but for theirs. What's he saying? Well, you have license, you have, you have freedom to go and eat. But at the same time, curtail your freedoms for the good of other people. So he's addressed the legalist, and he says, well, you're free to enjoy. You're free to enjoy the goodness of God. To the people who are actually on the license side of things, he says, yes, you are free to do those things, but I want you to consider you might offend the sake of somebody's conscience there as somebody sacrificed to an idol. You might give an unbeliever the notion that, that idolatry is okay, that, that demon worship is okay, and that you are proving that. You also might give, maybe it's a weaker brother there. You might give them the idea that Christians can mix both together. He says, hey, you know what? You have license to do that. You have all the the freedom to do that in the world. But I want you to understand, seek others good. And so he addresses both those barriers, both legalism and license. And he talks about conscience five different times in the passage. Because we want to be careful that we're not actually causing someone else's conscience to be harmed. Somebody else to to say, you know what, these things that that I struggle with, are actually okay. And so then they're going to be tempted to do all kinds of things that that they don't feel like are okay or what what a, what a legalist can do is legalists can say these things are not okay for me so therefore they're not okay for you you ever done that or you ever had somebody do that to you you know i believe a certain way about how men and women should relate and because i believe a certain way then you must believe that way and then you must practice that way and subtly we can actually begin to highlight practice over principle or you can say, you know what, I, I don't like your practices and I'm going to shove those out the door because I don't see that in the Bible. And so instead, I'm, gonna, I'm free to do whatever I want and we can, we can then become self-indulgent. Both ways of living are actually self-focused. Both the legalist and the licentious are self-focused, seeking their own, seeking their own ultimate good, seeking to feel good about themselves either way. And, and so Paul says, no, don't, don't be living that way I don't want your conscience to be determined by what other people think about you either. So don't, don't be overly worried. Don't be concerned. I don't want you to give in to the fear of man. And then you actually seek your own good by, by having people think well of you. Tells you not to do that. We're not in bondage to somebody else's scruples. We don't have to share their convictions. We're given liberty. We can, we can take part, take the liberty we have with a grateful heart to God. And so he, he really, he, at the, the last few verses, in verse 30 to, to 31, or thir- to verse 1 of chapter 11, he's, he's given us another way to live, another way to do these things, another way to glorify God, another way to not seek our own good. What's the motivation? How do we do this? What's the motivation behind doing this? Because otherwise, up until now, this can seem like just a whole series of commands, right? Do all for the glory of God. Do by by seeking other people's good. And, and if you miss the heart, really, of the motivation in, in verses 30 to 11 one, then we're going to not be able to do this. It's just going to be yet another burden. But here's, here's what I think we need to hear today, is that we do all to the glory of God by imitating Christ. By imitating Christ. Skip down to verse 1. What does it say in verse 1? It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What's Paul really saying? Is he, is he saying, I just want you to imitate me and everything? No, he's saying, I'm imitating Christ. Imitate me, but as I'm imitating Christ. And so what's Paul pointing to? He's pointing to somebody else. He's pointing to Christ. He's pointing to the example of Christ. He's saying if, in verse 30, if, if I can partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? What's he meaning there? And by the way, that word for thankfulness, then, in the original language, that, that's the word, same word we have for grace or caris. Charis. If you can partake of something with an awareness of God's grace and genuinely giving thanks for it, there's no room to denounce that kind of behavior. And so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, you can do all for the glory of God if you're doing that with a heart of gratitude, with a heart of thankfulness. And then he gives some other examples. Well, give no offense to the Jews or to Greeks, to the church of God. And, and that's what Paul says. That's the way I've sought to live my entire life. And he, we've already gone through that in, in the letter to the Corinthians he's saying I do everything why for their good and why look in verse 33 he says I just I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage going back to the same thing he told us said before don't seek your own but seek the good of your neighbor Paul says this is how I'm living I'm not seeking my own advantage but that of many why that they might be saved why because I want them to know the freedom that we have in Christ I want them to know the grace of Christ and then he he closes with this saying be imitators of me as I am of Christ, how can we avoid the two pitfalls when we're reading this passage of either being a legalist or being licentious? It's by imitating Christ. But what does it mean? What does it mean to imitate Christ? Well, I think first begins by understanding what does it mean to mimic or that's what the, the literal word is to mimic Christ. It's not just talking about parroting him. It's, it's living the way, following him, living the way that Christ lived. And, and I think that we get towards that idea in, in Ephesians 5.1. It says, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. When I, if you think about it, what um, for anybody who has kids here, have you ever been shocked when your kids say a word that you hoped they would never say? And you're like, where did they learn that? And then you realize, oh, from me. Um, you, wh- why does that happen? Or, or you never notice that, that your children will grow up with the most annoying characteristics that you have? The things that bother you most about your kids are probably the flaws in your own life or maybe your spouse, um, but you can't blame them right now. Um, what do kids do? Kids watch you. Children watch their parents. Parents. They know their parents. They're around their parents all the time. It's, it's the primary person that they're around from morning to night, generally from infancy on. It, it's they, they're around their parents the most. They're influenced by their parents the most. They're, they imitate their parents in good ways and bad both. Thanks be to God that there are some good traits that my kids have that I can say, you know what, that, that they've learned some of those things from, from Julie and I, and, and that's great. I think there are probably far more that I'm like, oh man, I wish they hadn't learned all those other things. But our kids are imitators. And, and we're called to be that way with God. And, and Paul's talking about being that way with Christ. And We're not left alone not knowing what does it look like to imitate Christ because here's how we can imitate Christ. We can imitate Christ by being around him. We can be imitators. How 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 will our heart be changed? It's by being around Jesus, by knowing Jesus, by, by seeing who he is, by seeing how he treated us, by seeing who he came to rescue, by seeing his demonstration of his selfless life. We can do all things to the glory of God by imitating Christ. We're neither called to a self-serving hedonism, nor are we called to be separating legalists. We're called to engage the world with a free, joyful, self-sacrificing love. Enjoy all the good gifts that God's given us, but in a self-sacrificing, loving way. Neither legalism nor license, but following Christ by imitating Christ, by knowing Christ. Freedom's important. And so Paul, he emphasizes freedom, but we're not free to live for ourselves. Here's the really cool thing. You know, before we became Christians, before we were saved, we were only free to sin. We weren't free to say no to sin. And now he came to rescue us from that enslavement, to rescue us from bondage. Now we're free to live for God and we're free to love others. And in, in Christian behavior, it's not just, he's not just a ma- talking about a matter of knowledge and rights. He's talking about a matter of freedom and love. We now have been given the freedom to love other people because of Christ freely giving himself and love to us. But if you don't understand that, it's going to be impossible to apply any of this. If you're just taking this as a series of do's and don'ts, of commands... Without understanding, this is talking about imitating Christ, and that requires something. It requires we know Christ, we see Christ, we experience the goodness of Christ in our own lives. We understand, what does it mean that he came for us? Think about this, he didn't seek to glorify himself. He is the king of glory, the one who was enthroned in majesty with God on high. Um, He had all glory and majesty ascribed to him before we even existed. And yet he He set aside his glory to take on humility, to take on human flesh, and to take on lowly circumstances. He set aside his glory because he loved us. He came and every time he was not worshipped, he didn't smite people because he set aside his own self-interest and his own glory. For our good. When Christ came, he didn't just do that. He took on all of our sin. He set aside what he deserved, which was worship. and Instead, he took on what he did not deserve, which was our sins. He took the wrath of God where he only deserved the favor of God. He only deserved the reward of God. And he took on our wrath so that we might receive his glory so that we might be rescued from God. We might be rescued to God. If you're not understanding what does it mean to imitate Christ, it's because you don't see who Christ is. You don't see what he's done. Watch his behavior. Watch his speech. Watch his actions. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. Why? Why? Because he came to seek and to save the lost. And and, and if we understand the mercy and grace that we've received, we're going to want to actually show how great and merciful God is and talk about it. When somebody gives me a a really nice piece of dark chocolate, they don't have to tell me to enjoy it. I enjoy it just inherently because it's really good. You give me a piece of 70 to 80% dark chocolate that probably half of you hate, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. This is, this is really good. And I might tell people about it, and I'll share it with other people and give it to other people. When I, when I have a really good meal, I'm gonna talk about it. When I, when I get to go to Kairos right down here and, and, and enjoy all the different flavors that God has given for our goodness, I'm like, whoa, it was really good. Somebody doesn't have to tell me, hey, go tell other people about it. I point to, I glorify chocolate. <laughs> I can glorify Kairos, and I hope I don't do that sinfully, but uh, I, we can glorify all kinds of things. When, when I first met Julie, nobody had to tell me, hey, go in and tell people about, about her and what you like about her. I just did that, and people had to shut me up, actually, because I was enjoying the goodness. I was seeing the benefits. I was firsthand experiencing that. And so, do all to the glory of God, what what does that really mean? This is not meant to be a burdensome command, and we imitate Christ. Why? Christ Himself was God and yet knows God the Father. If we know Christ and His goodness and His mercy and His grace, that's how we can now imitate Him who knows all the goodness of God. By, by telling of his goodness, by seeking to say, I want you to understand how good God is. and I'm going to do that by how I'm, how, I'm, how I'm acting, how I'm behaving, what I do every day, when I'm eating, when I'm drinking. I want everybody to know just how good this God is. Because he did what I could never do. So I want to give up my rights so that you might know him. Romans 5, 6, it says, For a while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the really good? No, it doesn't say that. For the really special? For the really deserving? For the really worthy? No, he says for the ungodly. That's really good news. That's, that's you and me before we became believers. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Even if we had been righteous, was we weren't, no one would die for that. If they're perhaps a good person. One would dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sought our good. He gave up his rights. He was helpful. He built us up. We don't glorify him as a legalist to pay him back because it's impossible. He already paid the price that we could never earn. We don't, we don't glorify God and say, I have to live this way glorifying God because I'm going to pay God back. No, that's impossible. We do it out of Gratitude. And we don't, we don't glorify him in order to earn favor before God. Nope, Jesus has already earned all that favor. That's really good news. We glorify him and seek the good of others because he sought our good. And we do all to the glory of God by knowing and imitating him in all of our lives. Let's pray and have the band go ahead and come up and we'll sing together.